Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. The House of Mystery and I am Al Warren. Mr. Brian Turnoff. Brian Turns is here today to be the co-host. Well, hello. And technically it's pronounced Turnoff, but well, uh, turn off. I'm not going to correct you on your own show. Well, it's the Turnoff. <laughs> the the turn off. turn off. Well, I didn't. I don't quite because it's now you've changed your name to Turns on social media. Brian That's turns. to keep away creeps like you. Unfortunately, we are already connected, so to then block you and then Why? well, people are friend you. It, it just it's more of a hassle. But yes, yes, they're coming after you because you're called Turn Off. And uh, no, no, no. Just like I've like out of nowhere, like a bunch of people from high school, from you know, God knows, decades ago, started. Trying to reach out, and I'm like, I I don't know why we're you know why why we're connecting now, but uh, why, uh, so try to like try to minimize back. that. I I would say. Yeah, they didn't like you back then. Why would they like you now? Why pretend now? Exactly. All these years <laughs> later, clearly I still have a scar about it. But no, um, <laughs> yeah, I just decided that it it was time to go a little more private in today's uh, you know I guess uh, lack thereof privacy. Well, there you go. So now we know. Now everyone knows. Everything. I was going to say, and then you just you just <laughs> threw out the name there, so I'm going to have to now yeah. revert back to my old one, I guess. Yeah, change it to the game. Thanks, Al. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to be helpful and bring charm. Charm and pleasure to everyone. That's one way of putting it, for sure. Yeah. That's one way of framing that. Well, now we're, we're, we're going to c- continue that, uh, you know, with charm and pleasure, and today we're welcoming a guest. <laughs> who's uh, written a book called Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, Infernal Wisdom from the Devil's Den. So, Mr. Carl Abertson, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Hopefully you say that at the end of the show. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, Carl, this is interesting because um, uh, th- th- it can be kind of a controversial subject, and Church of Satan can be kind of a controversial thing to talk about so um how did you decide to write a book on it well it had to do with my long uh relationship and friendship with the founder of the church of satan uh, obviously anton lavey uh, and uh, it is a long and winding story but to to sort of uh, make that a fairly Short stories that when I was a young teenager in Sweden, I was interested in the things that were, you know, dangerous and provocative and, you know, as you are uh, when you're a teenager. And, and uh, one of these uh, huge topics was, was occultism. And within, underneath that, you know, big umbrella called occultism, you come across uh, Satanism and specifically LaVey's brand of Satanism and again specifically through his book The Satanic Bible, a book that came out in 1969 and hasn't really gone out of print since then uh, I find found all of that stuff very cool, I found him cool as a kind of an uh, uh, American uh, icon and an anti-hero in a way and a counter-cultural hero um, there were so many interesting facets so I became fascinated 
And then what happened was that when I started a band, because that's what you do, you know, when you're young, you start a band. <laughs> and I wrote a song about LaVey's relationship with my teenage paramour or, or uh, object of teenage lust, Jane Mansfield, the beautiful actress. Um, and, you know, they had a fling. They had a relationship, and she was a member of, of the Church of Satan. So I wrote a song about that. And then a, fr- a mutual friend, um, uh, me and LaVey, the, the British musician Genesis Peorage, said that you, when that record came out, you should send that record to LaVey. I'm sure he will appreciate it. And, of course, I had nothing to lose, so I did, and I didn't expect anything to happen um, because it was just, you know, a rock and roll song, and I knew he didn't like rock and roll. But anyway, I got a beautiful letter back from Anton LaVey. You know, my my mind was blown at this time. Uh, And things happened pretty fast. Uh, I saved up money, and I went over to, to San Francisco in 1989, and that's when I met him for the first time. And I'm sure he was curious about who I was, and I wasn't sure whether I would be sort of, you know, welcome back after that first initial visit. But anyway, it developed into a beautiful friendship and one that I have cherished um, very much all throughout my life. And then, you know, he died in 1997, and, you know, life takes over, and you start a family, and, you know, these things happen. But I would say some five, maybe between five and ten years ago, I had these thoughts, you know, wow, why was this so inspirational for me? And, and you know, what actually happened during these uh, visits, because I was there, like, almost every year uh, during the early 90s. And, and I decided to... Uh, ask, basically interview uh, friends from then who had been there with him also at the same time uh, but also other people that I knew were there but that I didn't know personally. Uh, And that turned into the project uh, Into the Devil's Den which which is a documentary film and Anyone who works with film knows it's uh, it's a bitch, you know, you have to cut away so much material Um, so I decided I want to make a book out of this and use more of the interview material that I had. And that's the foundation of this book that just came out, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan. So it's basically my original curiosity and my being mind blown about hanging out with him. And, you know, it was beautiful, but gradually it changed inside me into to, uh, thinking about, why was this so impactful? Uh, how did it change my life? And, you know, why do I still hold it in such um, high esteem in a way? That, that's the basis of it. Well, you, um, so what, what did you think of him before you met him? And, and what did you think of the Church of Satan? Did you have any serious thoughts on it, or were you pro them or negative, or did you have any sort of feelings? No, yeah, I was absolutely pro. And the thing is that... Um, you can look at this from from uh, you know many different perspectives. One is, for instance, you know the philosophy or or uh, the uh, magical system of the Church of Satan, and then you can look at him as an American, you know, uh, countercultural uh, icon in a way. And and all of these things interested me. I was very interested in in magic um, as a phenomenon, you know, as a possible tool of transformation. Uh, but also as a phenomenon in uh, in our culture and in previous cultures. And he was something who brought something very new to the magical table, um, meaning that he didn't rely on old arcane patterns and old wisdoms from medieval times and, you know, uh, neo-Plate, uh, neo, um, you know, Pythagorean uh, mystics and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but basically he came up with his own thing, um, which he codified and called Satanism, and it's basically a very kind of egotistic uh, philosophy and egotistical magical system, which is pleasure-based, it's very Epicurean in a way, and, and um, the, using these sort of dramatic symbols of you know, Satan and these sort of names from um, you know, uh, Judeo-Christian uh, history, basically, but also from other parts of the world. You know, so that, that's one thing, I thought it was very fresh, but then him as a person... I knew that he was very you know, intelligent, a great musician, had a great sense of humor. And all of these things, I'm very, very happy that I could uh, you know, uh, get to experience firsthand and see that it was true. It was not some you know, 
little fan club that tried to, you know, laud him and, and boost him. Um, but it was a real congregation of really nice, intelligent people who were doing very interesting things. So I was pro from the beginning in my youthful, you know, curiosity. And, and um, that feeling is, is still with me after having experienced, uh, you know, him and, and the Church of Satan. Was, was he all what you expected? Like when you actually met him, um, did, were you surprised or were you totally getting what you thought you were? Yeah, I think it was... You know, at the time when I met him the first time in 1989, you know, he was 59, uh, which is not really, you know, uh, that old, but I could see that he was a bit, you know, failing in health. So my first experiences, the secondhand experiences of him were through... um, there's an old documentary from 1969 called Satanis, and I'd collected a lot of, you know, archival material in terms of interviews and photographs, and uh, and and they usually um, had him in his prime, sort of late 60s, early 70s, when he was completely flamboyant and completely out there in, um, you know, manipulating media in a way and being in all the on all the talk shows and Johnny Carson and all the magazines and men's magazines. So my first impressions were more of that guy who really knew how to handle the media. But the person I got to meet was, of course, that's later in life. So he was a bit more, uh, he wasn't a recluse, but he was reclusive. You know, he liked to stay at home, uh, play music. He was a great musician and hang out with friends. And I think what happened at this time, um, specifically maybe uh, throughout the 90s, uh, was that he... Um, hung out with with uh, a younger generation, basically, because uh, I think it vitalized him. Uh, see, you know, him seeing his ideas getting a new audience in a way, but also perhaps as being fertile soil to take his um, ideas and seed and you know the concepts on. Um, and I felt at the time uh, that it was just uh, remarkable and he, that he was really, you know, a fantastic, nice human being, but also a great magician in the sense that he had something. He had worked with co- the codification and conceptualizing um, radical philosophical and, and the magical ideas. And, of course, he had written books, but this, there, there are other ways of, of uh, leaving legacies, and that's through uh, living people. You know, the people that he met at that time, uh, most of them are, you know, still alive and doing things like, you know, I just wrote this book, for instance. So it's sort of carrying on, uh, I wouldn't say perhaps not a legacy, but certainly carrying on the spirit of his endeavors, you know, whether they be magical or philosophical or just simply artistic, you know, because he was also a great... uh, you know, fantastic musician, for instance, and like to paint, and you know, just very creative individual. And I, I can feel that as time moves on, that um, he's probably more well known uh, today than he was ten years ago and twenty years ago. And then, then suddenly we're back almost into the heyday when he was very, very famous. So I think at the time when he died, there was a kind of a dip, but now he's sort of resurfaced in the. Uh, I don't know, uh, almost in the mainstream, I would say. Yeah. You, you think that's a good thing? You think it's good to have them out and, and Absolutely. for people to find out? Yeah, right? because it's a viable alternative that for me, uh, you know, I'm not a spokesperson, you know, neither of him nor of the Church of Satan, uh, but I think it's just so filled with common sense. Um, if you look at it, it's like I, in the book, uh, I call him America's Pop Nietzsche, you know, he sort of brought uh, Nietzschean ideas into uh, a more, you know, <laughs> I think I call it uh, bringing the, you know, Nietzsche into the uh, American uh, living rooms or into the li- American TV couches in a way, basically popularizing these ideas that don't necessarily have to be highfalutin philosophical ideas. But what are these ideas? They're about empowerment, individual empowerment, in a similar way that um, other Americans have. You know, Ayn Rand, for instance, has been instrumental in, in uh, affecting you know, American culture and American society. Some people don't like it. Many people do. Uh, but you can never look away or shy away from the fact that her ideas have affected 
um, American culture, as you know, um, the ideas of Lavey has done that too. And of course, Nietzsche and Schopenhauer and all these people who created this original impetus for the philosophy of will, basically, um, they are complicated, but they seems to be that they always become more and more disseminated for each generation that that uh, uh, studies them and and express their you know, a condensed version of their philosophies for the modern times. And that's exactly what LaVey did. He was a condensator and a filter in a way. And then, of course, you could say, you know, why do you have to call it Satanism? Why do you have to use that symbol? Well, you know, I think he wanted at the time, meaning mid-60s, he wanted to have attention for the group, for himself, to have a career based on controversy and, um, you know, a cultural... Uh, public presence, and he certainly got that, and it did become all of those things. It did become a career. It, it made the book sell. It made the Church of Satan grow. Uh, but at the same time, the main thing for him was always the dissemination of uh, his philosophy, which is basically, you know, you have to find out what you want to do in your life, and then you just have to do it. No compromises. No, no holes barred. Uh, because otherwise you will be prone to and subjected to uh, neurosis and problems within yourself because you know what you want to do, but you're not doing it. That's a problem. That's a big problem in, in uh, Western culture. So I think he was uh, filled with common sense. He was controversial. He was provocative, and he used these terms that obviously are not to everyone's liking, but he did it to break through a kind of a veil of uh, passivity of, of uh, a pacified public in a way and I think he did manage to, to uh, pierce that enough to, to create a fairly big interest The Anton LaVey of the 60s and the Anton LaVey of the 90s I imagine they have some fairly big differences I mean how, how did his opinions change over time about Satanism, Church of Satan and all the things he practiced uh, initially. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good question because as we, we all know is that uh, we don't remain exactly the same and you know there are no um there's no standard time for when you like peak in life this is my peak when I'm 31 or 35 uh, we all have our ups and downs and we all change as persons but of course he concocted this um uh, philosophy, uh, he sometimes he call it the religion, other people have called it the religion, uh, but anyway, the Church of Satan and the philosophy of Satanism. He concocted that certainly in his prime, and he um, lived in it, and he promoted it, and, and they created a big buzz. Uh, then, of course, you know, time moves on, you have to deal with other things, focus more on family, these kinds of things. And then, of course, you grow older and you may grow infirm and, and uh, the exteriors of the outside world may not develop to your liking. I can feel that <laughs> to a great you know, extent myself today. I'm, I'm 56, and I don't look at the world the same as when I was 23. That's just natural. So what I could perceive in him was perhaps that he was a, even more uh, misanthropic in a way when I met him. Uh, he was uh, sensitive to the you know, stupid things in media. And I think to a great extent he tried to avoid uh, reading newspapers and watching uh, TV and stuff like that. He just believed that it dumbed you down. And I, I can agree with that. Um, there's really uh, nothing good comes from reading about, you know, too much stupi stupidity. Um, whereas in the past, meaning the 60s and the heyday, I think he was more prone to, you know... Um, pick a good fight and, and be present in that public arena where you could be in, on uh, stupid talk shows on TV or radio and just uh, meet these opposers or whatever, people who were obviously critical, but it gained, he gained from, from uh, being part of that, uh, I don't know, uh, dialogue of, of uh, diametrical uh, opinions in a way. Uh, when I met him, he was much more you know, pleased to be at home, uh, hang out with friends, and talk about these concepts for sure, uh, but not necessarily to go out there and be on um, 
TV and radio and media in general. There were a few interviews with fairly big newspapers, uh, but there was also this thing going on at that time, which was called the Satanic Panic. I don't know if you remember that, but that's all of these uh, people sort of remembering uh, satanic sacrifices and all these you know, horrendous, uh, fantastical stories that the police, you know, pretty quickly uh, debunked. Uh, but it did create kind of an atmosphere of uh, paranoia in, for, for everyone who had a divergent opinion, you know. If you weren't, like, you know, a devout Christian, you, you could be a victim of their hatred uh, in the sense that, you know, people could make up fantasies about what they had experienced in your presence or whatever, you know, and that's horrible when that happens. But um, so I think to an extent, he certainly preferred to be uh, within the confines of his own home and safety. And and uh, when he looked at the world in the 90s, I could feel that he had a lot more um, cynicism and, and misanthropy in a way, um, the, the the overt sense of humor had was perhaps a little bit more subdued. Do you think he felt his life was under threat somewhat? Well, yes and no. I I I wasn't there, you know, present to the extent that I experienced anything like that. But for sure, I mean, um, you know, he lived in this house on California Street in San Francisco. It's a beautiful little Victorian house that was painted black, and everybody in the neighborhood. Uh, knew. I mean, he was a San Francisco celebrity, not necessarily infamous, but actually famous. So everybody knew uh, that that was the, his home and the headquarters of the Church of Satan. So, you know, of course, you know, jocks and, and morons uh, drove by and threw things at the house. So eventually they had to put up like a, a, a fence in front of the house. But there were incidents where people were actually shooting at the house too. And when you're inside with your family, I mean, of course that freaks you out. You know, that's just natural. So that may be another um, reason for him retiring a little bit into his own world and to his own safe uh, environment. Understandably. Do you think the public didn't really understand him, didn't know who he was? Well, I don't know. The public, what is it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. This is a vague term. But, but in general, I think that um, if you look at interviews, I mean, proper journalistic interviews and documentaries from the time, uh, you know, when the Church of Satan was sort of... Uh, say, between zero and five years old, uh, good journalism always has, you know, the pro, pros and cons, the people talking for and against. And it seems to me that San Francisco at this time was, you know, we, we know that it was a very liberal place, you know, with all the, the flower children and the hippies and, you know, a lot of experimentation going on. And that uh, later on remained in the sense that, you know, uh, has always been a place of, of uh, let's call it gay safety, LGBTQ safe haven in a way. And it has always had that spirit. And, and I think that uh, for people outside of that environment, like I said, he, in San Francisco he was famous, not infamous, whereas in the rest of America, you know, perhaps in the Midwest, he was certainly infamous. Uh, and uh, people uh, perhaps didn't want to understand him, whereas in San Francisco there was always this kind of dialogue, you know, what are these people about? And it was more of a, you know, possibility to express your, your divergent opinion. Uh, so I think that, you know, the water always finds its own level, and, and um, you know, people didn't only have impressions coming from, uh, talk shows and TV and, and that kind of thing was mainly through uh, his books. You know, Satanic Bible came out in 69, followed by the Satanic Rituals and the Satanic Witch or the Complete Witch, as it was called. Uh, so, and these books were doing well. Like I said, the Satanic Bible has never been out of print since 1969, which is, which is a re remarkable feat. Um, so, the ideas were spread through the books, and whether people could uh, understand it or take it to heart, uh, obviously some people did. You know, if the books are selling, you know, not not all the books are thrown thrown in the trash can. Um, and I think that um, he also was smart in his networking. He liked to hang out with you know movie stars and celebrities and that kind of thing. 
and uh, you make an impression. And I think he, his philosophy also lived on in those um, impression networks where people, you know, talked about him and that they had met him and about what he had said about his philosophy and stuff like that. And I think for many people, it might have been too, uh, not heady, but perhaps a bit too controversial. You know, like people can say, wow, I really agree with what he's saying, but I'm not going to be an uh, out-and-out Satanist. I'm not going to define myself as a Satanist because it could hurt my career, it could hurt this and that. But LaVey was always very uh, understanding about these weird you know, foibles and machinations of, of the human culture. So he always said, uh, you know, it would be uh, paradoxical to demand of someone to, you know, um, claim, you know, define themselves as Satanists. Because it's much better to be an, uh, a covert Satanist and enjoy that than being a miserable overt Satanist who, you know, always gets uh, criticism or you know, aggression, where in fact they just want to enjoy life. So it's better to sometimes be be uh, quiet about it and, and just um, uh, enjoy it in secrecy. That's that's uh, something that LaVey uh, supported 100%. The researchers who have um, looked into his history, they have found some inconsistencies in, in I guess, what we would say, the, the legend and reality of Anton LaVey. You know, for example, he, I think he talked about having an affair with Marilyn Monroe being a worker, uh, working as a photographer for the San Francisco Police Department, um, and yet there's no real evidence for that. I mean, how do you, as a, a fan and a friend, reconcile that? Yeah, well, th- there are two ways to look at that, according to me. Uh, and first of all, you have to look at what kind of person he was and what kind of person he wanted to be and what kind of you know, persona he wanted to emulate in a way. And and um, he came from a background where he sort of, he, he didn't go to college. He worked on a circus and a sideshow, uh, which has been completely verified. You know, he worked with big cats, lions and tigers, and also played as, as a circus and sideshow musician. He was very skilled. That was actually his main profession as a, as a musician. Uh, and in that world, you know, there's this thing where, you know, it's the greatest and it's the amazing and it's the legendary. You know, you have this PR <laughs> uh, discourse, which is necessary to attract uh, people. So he was, you know, the, the great Shandor because his name was Anton Shandor LaVey. And uh, he lived in that kind of thing and developed in that kind of uh, um, uh, beautiful um, world of exaggeration in a way. So there's a wonderful expression that is usually called when, when some people are trying to uh, define themselves in a way that might shock other people, is that they tell a truth and a half, meaning they, they exaggerate a little bit to create a persona um, that is something that they want to achieve. Everybody does it daily who work, you know, in social media and with selfies and uh, trying to present something that they're not, you know. Uh, the thing is that for LaVey, it was a conscious thing. It was not something pathological. Um, he was just um, leading a larger-than-life life, and that was provocative enough for people to question whether all of these things that he had actually experienced was true or not. Uh, for As for the people who, who you know, claim, that, that mean, that's one thing. And then if you want to go into details and, and sort of nitpick about various things, um, I know for a fact that in the archive of, of uh, the Church of Satan, there are, uh, what do you call them, slips from uh, salary payments from uh, uh, the San Francisco Police Department for his photographic work. And I'm sure they could drag that out if they want to. Uh, as for flings and romances with Marilyn Monroe, uh, isn't this uh, merely a matter of, <laughs> of of envy? You know, because do people really think that Marilyn Monroe did not have casual sex while she was working as a uh, as an exotic dancer uh, or in her young life? Of course she did. Uh, as do many women and many men. Um, so I, I can't see why it would be such a problem. Um, because he was there at the same time, he did play music at the Mayan 
and other clubs where she was actually dancing. Um, so I don't know. I, I can't see it as a problem. Uh, many of the things that have, uh, you know, people have tried to debunk, they themselves have been debunked by simple facts and, you know, historical records and stuff. That's not saying that everything he said should be taken at absolute face value. Because, again, he liked to tell a story and a half. And that's usually what great storytellers do. They tell a story in a way that is simply so fascinating and enigmatic and, and uh, alluring in a way. And you don't really do that by <laughs> journalistic reporting. You do it by literary means. And that's how I look at him. Um, I know for a fact that uh, he certainly entertained me. And if, if I mean, he had great things in his house, He's, he claimed to have, you know, Chico Marx's uh, hat and showed it to me. You know, if, if that's not Chico Marx's hat, I really don't care, you know, <laughs> because to me it was. So in that sense, I wouldn't call those things uh, absolutely not lies. I would call them, you know, very interesting objects that can bring out entire stories from someone who absolutely uh, led a fantastic life, really a larger-than-life life. What's your favorite memory of Anton, personal memory? Uh, I think I would have to say moments in his kitchen, uh, which is where he had these racks with all his synthesizers. Um, and it was so amazing because... Um, being a kind of a musician myself in that kind of experimental way that was, you know, quite common in the late 80s, uh, basically meaning you can't play, <laughs> but you use synthesizers <laughs> to sort of create soundscapes or whatever. But here was someone who had a great amount of synthesizers, some of which were quite modern, you know, and, and he had programmed them all uh, with sounds that sounded like really old uh instruments like from bands from the 40s and circus music and these weird weird sounds and then of course that's all fair and fine but he was an amazing musician and again i mentioned uh, chico marx's uh, hat i mean there was a lot of chico marx in him when he was playing you know this kind of thing where he, they're playing music on the keyboards but at the same time it seems their fingers are having a life of their own like really dancing on the keyboard uh, and that kind of thing he was just so involved in the performance that uh, you couldn't help but just you know stand there and laugh hysterically because it was so much fun mm. and he was also someone who could like for instance one occasion I asked him uh, well you know can you play something Scandinavian because I come from Sweden and just he just hammered out a tune uh, that uh, you know certainly it was I recognize it as a hambo it's a kind of a folk dance thing uh, and I recorded that and I called that the satanic hambo but then a couple of years later I realized this is actually an old Danish Christmas song uh, um, and I just wondered how the hell could he know that you know have some Danish Christmas carol or song in his mind that when I asked him, he could just hammer out. That's an amazing ability that some musicians have. It's not, not only that they can play, but they have music in their own repository, in a way, in their mind. Um, so those moments were really fantastic because that's when he really shone. He was very, very happy and joyful. Uh, and you could see that that was his main passion in life. Did you uh, ever participate in any, you know, like magical rituals uh, with him? Uh, yeah, we, you could. That's a matter of definition. Also, if you th if you uh, look at it from, you know, going into this, uh, you know, dark chamber and there are people in hoods and um, the nude lady on the altar and stuff like that. That didn't happen then. That sort of ended in the mid seventies, um, in that kind of flamboyant way. Uh, however. Uh, there are some definitions that I find more appropriate, which I think stem from the British magician Alistair Crowley, who said that, you know, it, it's uh, magic is the uh, 
you know, art and science of causing change to occur in conformity with will. Basically, anything that you do that promotes your desired goal is an act of magic. And in that sense, yes, we, we uh, talked about things and we uh, hung out and strengthened certain things. And, and uh, uh, so in a sense, we, we created something together that led to certain things. Absolutely. Uh, I did also get... Uh, uh, married. I traveled there one year with my girlfriend at the time, and I asked if you know he would be if he could consider to to uh, to wed us, and and he did. So in that sense, we had some kind of I don't know uh, taste of what it was like back then when he was actually in that kind of the mode of the priest in a way. Uh, but it was very romantic and sweet and and just very uh, amazing to to be a part of that. But there was no like flamboyant hocus pocus going on. No. Oh darn it! <laughs> um, well, it, what, so do you think the Church of Satan is quite a bit different now under Peter Gilmore than it was with Levey? And I mean, in sense of rituals and things like that. Well, I think that uh, you have to look at it in part. You know, the people who are are uh, running it, but also in the times we're in. You know, meaning both an internal and an external perspective. And uh, things changed very rapidly, I think, after LaVey died from that external perspective, mainly having to do with uh, the Internet and this, the rapid development of uh, life and culture and communication and congregation and human culture basically taking place online. And I think that... Uh, uh, Peter Gilmore, Peggy Nedremia, and also Blanche Barton, who was Lavey's partner, basically the people who, who uh, are leading uh, the Church of Satan, they were quick to realize that, uh, you know, this is not an option. You know, we just have to, to, to have a strong Internet presence. And uh, that is, I would say, the, the key thing today, to have a site that's completely informative, transparent, uh, fun, uh, keep a good archive, basically allowing people who are curious to get all the answers uh, they need um, by spending some time at the site. And then in terms of, of leadership in general, uh, I don't envy anyone in that position. It must be hard, mainly because of <laughs> perhaps online criticism. I mean, it's so easy to, to uh, be critical uh, online. But on the other hand, I think they're very used to it, and the organization is certainly doing well, and it seems very stable and, you know, um, well-run. It's, it's a functioning, functional thing. So I think that LaVey, if he had lived longer uh, and then perhaps uh, re remained in power but perhaps wasn't strong enough to truly go with the flow of technology and stuff like that. He was, he was interested in it, absolutely. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's just pure speculation. Maybe it would have taken longer for the Church of Satan to adapt to, um, to the modern times. But, you know, that didn't happen. And what happened was that uh, the Church of Satan is now a very active and sort of contemporary presence. Yeah. Yeah, Peter Gilmore almost had me joining, but when he said there wouldn't be a big pile of guys coming here with capes to have sex. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, you can do that on your own free time. Right? Well, I know. That's what he said. What that's why he started the House of Mystery. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I can do that myself. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, but uh, well, what went on in the Black House, as you call it? Like, what, what kind of things would go on there? What, what Was it just sitting around having coffee or what 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 happened uh well i again i can only i can only speak for myself and what i experienced and it was usually at this time the same kind of uh mo you know the same kind of modus operandi which was everything happened at night or began in the evening and went late and you would uh, come by and we would have maybe a coffee or a drink at the black house and just chit chat and then knowing that we would go out for uh, a late dinner uh, driving to some some great restaurant, you know, San Francisco at this time was very very nice, and then returning to the house for uh, for let's call it hanging out. That meant uh, watching movies, uh, talking a lot, uh, watching him play music, um, 
and just uh, being filled with, uh, I don't know, it's very much uh, an old school kind of uh, conversation that never really ended. It was very, um, uh, I felt that he was equally interested in what I had to say as I was, obviously, to hear what he had to say. And that, you know, of course, is inspiring when you're a younger person and you're looking up to this older person. Uh, and he was so filled with stories. It was a joy to listen to and ask questions, you know. And and um, so, and then what could happen was also like, you know, 2 a.m., there could be a buzz on the door, and then someone would come in who, you know, had been out to a party or whatever and come by for a little bit of chit-chat and then just go again, you know. So it was very social, but it was low-key. There was no, you know... No heavy drinking, nothing spectacular in that sense. Uh, it was kind of calm uh, and based on conversation, regardless if we were watching movies or, or enjoying his music. It was uh, a free-flowing dialogue of, of many, many interesting topics. So the, uh, when someone picks up the book and takes it home, um, what are you hoping that they take away from this book? Well, I'm hoping that it's... Um, a little bit like an antidote to his usual presence. I can see that changing, but I'm thinking specifically he was uh, on one of the more recent uh, seasons of uh, American Horror Story, for instance, this kind of youthful uh, horror uh, TV series. And, you know, as this sort of bad guy, Satanist, you know, demonic, but it looked like him and he was introduced as, as him. Um, and that creates kind of a cheesiness to, yeah, it takes away a little bit of the uh, potential that the Lavayan philosophy has to really inspire people. But then, on the other hand, I'm not sure he would agree. I, I think that Lavey would be happy about the fact that he's in a way honored because he was used to being ridiculed or bad-mouthed. And I think he ascribed very much to you know, the May West, the philosophy of May West and Jane Mansfield, that there is, you know, there's only publicity, there's no bad publicity. Um, so I hope that my book can be uh, kind of a substantial antidote to the cheesiness that with which is usually presented, because my book is um, the first four or five chapters are my own recollections and my own feelings of having been there and what we talked about and, and uh, just the hanging out aspect. And then for the film originally and also included in this book are all my interviews with people who were there at about the same time. And some, you know, some perspectives differ, but in general, we all shared the same experience because being there was kind of, it was the same for everyone. But it seems that he sort of read us uh, or scanned us and he sort of presented us with with the stuff that I think he thought intuitively that we would be uh, prone to or interested in, yeah, I don't know, carrying on in a way. I remember specifically him um, taking books by Ben Hecht, you know, the famous uh, screenwriter from the 30s and 40s, uh, books that he had written about uh, more philosophical uh, topics and some old horror fiction that he had written and he took those books out and he read to me and I mean how often does that happen that someone reads to you from a book you know uh, that's something that your parents <laughs> do in a way yeah, if you're lucky yes. uh, but but um, that was so special and of course I loved Ben Hecht then and I love him even more now but it was just so that was one of those seeds that sort of grew on me like why did he do this did he really want me to to uh, carry on the kind of a Ben Hecht energy or, or whatever. And other people had other things, you know, they were presented with other things like the photography of, of William Mortensen, that those seed actually grew uh, over the decades to become beautifully published books on and by William Mortensen through publishers, young publishers who were there at about the same time as me. And there are other examples of that. So the interviews in the book, people who experience that talk about their own experiences. Some things we share, some things we don't. But it, the book gives, I think, a very accurate picture, uh, not in a, in a critical or analytical way, but it gives an insight into the human being uh, that, that he was to us 
it's not an attempt to create like the ultimate biography, uh, but it's a very uh, great piece of history writing, I would say, because it's all based on first-hand uh, sources. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, you know, the philosophy of a human being, and that's kind of what I see him as and his his the way he approached things. But a lot of the, you know, mainstream world, again, we're going back to mainstream, but there, there's a concept of, of Anton LaVey as being like a Satanist where they, you know, eat children and animals and bloodlettings and all this sort of stuff. Do you think they'll ever, people will realize the difference or, or that, that there is a different philosophy? Yeah, I think so. And I think so. It will, it will be uh, evident and obvious uh, to the people who really have the capacity to understand. Because I have to say, unfortunately, my experience of life is that some people simply don't have that capacity yeah. to understand, and they never will. You know, and it's not, you know, it's, we can't, you know, cry over spilt milk or whatever it's called. Uh, but the the uh, thing is that that's something I think have, has changed uh, over these past decades, or perhaps the past decade, in the sense that there have been books. Blanche Barton has written a beautiful book called We Are Satanists. That's her... It's a kind of an extension or expanded version of uh, her um, uh, book called The Church of Satan that came out originally, I think, in 1990. Uh, but it's also filled with more uh, stuff. And there's uh, another book was written fairly recently called The Satanic Warlock as a complement to The Satanic Witch. But it's written by a member of the church. So it's sort of the canon in a way, is being expanded by living authors within that environment. So that's, that's a very healthy thing. And therefore, I think that it will never be a static or inert environment where people can sort of project their own fears or foibles or prurience or all of these things on something that cannot, in a way, defend itself, because it is still a very vital and thriving uh, group and philosophy. And what I hope that my book can can uh, bring to that table is, again, is that showing him what he was really like for all of us who actually were there. You know, so, so in that sense, I think that uh, the people who have the capacity to uh, understand that and also to take part of this material, I think they will see him in a more nuanced light than 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And I think that... Uh, they, he will come forth in a way as what I called uh, at the beginning of the show as um, you know a countercultural icon in a way. Yeah, back then he was controversial uh, in a group of many controversial people. There could be you know anything from you know Allen Ginsberg was controversial. The hippies were controversial. Tim Leary was controversial. They were all on par, perhaps representing different things, but they were part of a, like a countercultural wave in America at the time, mid-60s to, to mid-70s, basically. And LaVey had his particular niche. And, and I certainly think that he belongs up there with the greatest of them. And I think he would agree. Uh, I don't think he agreed so much uh, back in the day because he wouldn't want to be associated with those people. But I think looking back at that you know, specific slice of American history, now uh, there were key people who... who uh, created a lot of change in American society, and I certainly believe that he was one of them. You know, and and uh, I think that people today can now begin to understand that because they can be unaffected by the uh, prejudice of morons, and they, they can themselves take part of first-hand material. So um, how do people get a hold of you or find your book, or do you do social media? Where, Absolutely. What's out there? Yeah, I think that the best thing, if people want to get in touch with me uh, and all the social media presence, is simply through my website, which is carlabrahamson.com. That's Carl with a C and Abrahamson with two S's, carlabrahamson.com. Um, and that takes you on to all kinds of things, you know, links to where they can see the film, for instance, and all my social media stuff. And the book itself... Uh, is uh, widely available uh, wherever people usually buy their books. If they have good bookstores, uh, they can get it there. 
where the bookstore can help them them uh, get it, or of course go to uh, Amazon or or Barnes and Noble or wh- wherever you buy books. Basically, it's there. Great. Of course, we'll have that up on our website as well. People can find you with one click. You know, it's all it's all there. So, you you know, when you look back at this, when you wrote this book and you went through the whole your memories and you and you put it together, do you ever notice or realize how much um, that ten years or so changed you? Absolutely, uh, and it it was also it wasn't an exclusive thing. I mean, of course, it was an exclusive thing to be invited. And invited back to 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 uh, the devil's den in a way, uh, but for me at that time it was a very expansive period of my life when I was deeply uh, immersed in uh, exploring uh, different facets of magic and what I call magical anthropology. So I was having a blast, you know, really uh, talking to, interviewing, meeting a lot of magicians. And magical people, uh, philosophers, uh, uh, and LaVey was part of uh, that beautiful uh, cauldron, in a way, that really affected my life. So, And I think that if I wanted to say, you know, how important was he to me in, in, in this cauldron, in this uh, entire spectrum of things that were going on in my life, and I would say that he was like, you know, top three. He was very, very uh, instrumental in my development, and I still uh, carry on a lot of, you know, cherished memories and, um, uh, yeah, still inspiration from him and his way of uh, approaching things. Uh, he approached things with a sense of humor, with a common sense, with a kind of clarity, uh, and especially how he expressed himself. He was very inspired by uh, Ben Hecht, as I said, and also uh, Mencken, Mark Twain, all these beautiful American satirists in a way. You know, you you can be very sardonic and critical, but there's always this little gleam in the eye uh, that could be defined, or certainly defined by him, as satanic, you know, um, poking a finger at hypocrisies, uh, poking a finger at, uh, you know, seemingly pathological uh, neuroses of of our culture that could be better. You know, everybody could be better if they weren't so confined to being victims of their own self-deceit. That's that's, um, how I interpreted his, his basic philosophy. Wow, I wonder, I guess it's impossible to really know, but I wonder how he would deal with today's world. Ooh, <laughs> that's a the great you question. Know? You know, in <laughs> one part, I think he would have loved it, meaning gloating, you know, gleefully gloating about how far can this go? You know, is this really end times? But he would have a good time, again, poking fun and sort of, uh, pointing his finger, not necessarily in a in a in a satanically moralistic way, but m- much more like you know, I told you so. This thing where you know and you've known all along, and now you can see it uh, not only on TV but out there in reality too. That how how strange our culture is, how strange American society is, and how weird the machinations of the world you know are moving right now, but. I would like to quote, you know, uh, something that Blanche says in the film and also in the book about, you know, his misanthropy, because people always refer to him as a misanthropist, and yes, he was. But Blanche said that, you know, uh, I would have to say that he was an idealist, because he, if he, if he weren't an idealist, he would never have done all the things that he actually did, meaning. Uh, formulating and disseminating a philosophy that was helpful for people. Because if he were a pure misanthropist, he could just have stayed in his black house and enjoyed life, you know, and enjoyed his own pleasures. But he he was out there on the forefront uh, and presenting his, uh, you know, satanic philosophy uh, and these ideas for people to take on if they felt that resonance and in the hope that it could change their life for the better. And that's really what an, what an, you know, kind of an egotistical altruist does or an idealist does. Pretty amazing. Pretty, pretty, pretty good book. Everyone, uh, pick up the book. It's called Anton LeBay and the Church of Satan, Infernal Wisdom from the Devil's Den. And the author has been our guest, Carl Abramson. Thank you for being here. 
Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.